Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with County Commissioner Alexis Hill. Alexis Hill and I go back a long time. We first got to know each other when she was working at the city of Reno. We went to an innovation conference together and really got to know each other. When I think about good people in government, I think about Alexis Hill. She and I cover a lot of topics relevant to what's going on in Washoe County and Reno right now, homelessness, the pros and cons of growth, the environmental challenges facing Lake Tahoe, what it looks like to be collaborative and innovative in government. We dive into really the opportunity facing local governments right now as we stare down kind of the largest influx of federal dollars into state and local governments and what that's going to look like to not only address long-standing infrastructure issues, but supporting different programs and really helping transform economies over the next 10 years. It's a fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy getting to know a little bit more about Alexis Hill. So on with the podcast. So welcome, Alexis, to the Growth Pioneers podcast. It's really nice to see you. Thank you, Doug. I'm thrilled to be here. I was just thinking about how long we've known each other. It's been quite a while, right? We met what, probably eight years ago, maybe nine years ago now? A long time ago. And it was the startup group that the mayor started, right? That you were in? Yeah, I I guess that's where we connected originally. God, your memory is better than I am. I remember when I really got to know you was on the road trip back from the Global Innovation Summit where we shared a truck ride back and just had a great conversation. Yeah, it was amazing. We fixed all the problems. Unfortunately, they haven't all been implemented yet. No, (laughs) (laughs) but we fixed them on the way home. Well, let's, uh, we're going to get to cover some new ground today too. So I'm really excited to have you on. Why don't you, you know, give a little bit of background on who you are and just tell us a little bit about your life, Alexis. Well, I grew up in Sparks, so I am a townie and I actually wanted to get away. I was like, I've got to shake you know, my boots of this small town and see the world and went away for college. And then I missed Reno. I missed the mountains. I was like, this is why people are wanting to live here. So I came back for grad school. And I also missed working in the community when I was younger. I was really had a passion for, you know, what can I do to make my community better? And I remember even wanting to fix sidewalks when I was a kid and bringing that to the Sparks City Council. At what age were you doing that? Oh, my gosh. I think I was probably middle school. So you've been interested in public policy for a long time. It's part of, like, who you are. I don't think I knew I was going to do government necessarily. I think I always thought, oh, I'll be like my dad and be an attorney. But I always wanted to help people. And I realized pretty quickly after college, like, the way you can help people is local government. I worked, actually, at the City of Sparks as my first job after college. So trying to fix those sidewalks as a planner. But it was very rewarding work, and I learned a lot. But I was like, I want to learn even more. So I started a master's degree in public administration. And then the recession came, and I had to pivot. And that's where I think you and I have a lot in common and that I was kind of what else do I like to do? So I applied for, I saw the end coming at the City of Sparks. My workload was just decreasing so dramatically. And I was like, they're going to lay me off if I don't get out of here. And I thought, I've always loved arts. I was always in like performances when I was younger. 
and obviously not realistic to pursue, at least in my family. So I thought would pursue more practical things. But I was lucky enough to be hired during the recession at the Lake Tahoe Shakespeare Festival. And I did their ticketing and their marketing and their, you know, nonprofits, you do everything. And I had no background in it. But I always tell kids when I talk to schools, like, you know, just put your all in what you want to try to be good at. And you actually will start to learn and start to, that work will pay off. So I became like the expert in the office on our ticketing software. And that was really cool. And then I ran a nonprofit for special needs kids after that in Tahoe called Kids and Horses. So I lived up in Tahoe for about five years during the recession. And then the city of Reno was back to hiring again. And I was like, I want to put this master's degree to use. And I was lucky enough to be hired in special events at the city. And then eventually I took over arts and culture. Which is really where we started to get to work with each other. When I first met you at the city, I was like, oh, wow, she's really knows what she's doing. And it was just a real breath of fresh air. I mean, at that time, I think there was a lot of good people at the city, but just you and I just really resonated and I really appreciated your approach. I think you and I had this common, we care about artists, but I think artists and entrepreneurs are kind of cut from the same cloth. And I thought you were so cool. And I was like, oh my God, this cool guy wants to get involved in government. How awesome. That so rarely happens. That usually is not said though. Like cool guy <laughs> wants to get involved in government. Does not. Truly. <laughs> well, I appreciate the sentiment though. That I think that I was so excited because you helped me understand the parallels between entrepreneurship and artists and event producers and also government in allowing me to go to that summit in San Jose and learning about how government could be more entrepreneurial, how government can be more forgiving of failure. Then we went and did a training, remember, with the city manager at the time and all of the management team to look at how can we look at government less of a like rose and farming and more of a rainforest to diversify. From from like a row crop to a rainforest, which is, it's amazing that work. We're working with Victor Huang, again, the the author of that on some statewide stuff. And it's just timeless. Like he really understands something that I think a lot of people haven't really fully appreciated. And it was really, I forgot that we had done that with the city. I mean, you brought in most of the city staff and we took them through a rainforest exercise with like art. And it was definitely pushed people's comfort zones. They were like, what are we doing? But I thought it was really impactful. And I know the city manager at the time, he got a lot out of it and it changed the way I thought how organizations could be run and how managers can support that mindset with their employees. Which is, it's amazing when you can provide a new framework for somebody and something, this is why I love bringing disparate groups of people together, right? You know, a lot of times the engineers hang with the engineers, the entrepreneurs hang with the entrepreneurs, but when you put government and entrepreneurs and artists all in the same room, you get a lot of different perspectives. And that's where I think really the the innovative magic happens. And that's why I had to get you on the Arts and Culture Commission Because I knew we needed that kind of business mindset, but also this like open idea of how do we support this ecosystem, the arts ecosystem, which you introduced me to, which you've done a lot for in the community. It's been a really eye-opening experience for me to be on the Arts and Culture Commission. Just watching how government really functions, seeing all of the constraints, it's definitely given me a lot of appreciation for what it means to be in government. You know, I think a lot of times entrepreneurs are like, ah, government, no regulation, get out of the way. And I think that's short-sighted. I think when you really understand the good people doing the work and 
all the constraints. I mean, just open meeting law just by itself is a pain. And just to see that, you know, the, one of the things I love about Reno is that the people working in government are your neighbors. Like they're like real people. And if you go to a, a, my friends in San Francisco, it's just a complete enigma, right? Like right. just don't interface with it in the same way. So we're very lucky to have this close access to government. I agree. And I think that's the cool part about it. I meet people who've moved here recently from the Bay Area or San Francisco, you know, LA, a woman I met recently. And she's like, I can't believe, because I was recently elected as a county commissioner in Washoe County. And I can't, she's like, I can't believe I'm talking to my county commissioner. I'm like, we're out here. You should be able to access any of your elected officials, you may see your our governor walking around. I mean, it's one of those things of, like, we're such a small state, and I think that that really is the exciting part of the work that we have to do, kind of scary part of the work and exciting part of the work because we can get it done, but we're also new at a lot of this. It really feels like this barn-raising community where people are rolling up their sleeves together and we all have a role to play. Like, I care about these things. I have a role in economic development, but I really care about the community and I can work with those of us that are, you know, that are in government or in other, the business community and we can all kind of work, align our interests and work together. So you moved from City of Reno staff, which again, I know you've moved on to bigger and better things. I have to say, I do miss your presence on the Arts and Culture Commission. One of my most proud moments, and I think about it every day, actually, I walk home and I look at the Reno flag, which was really this thing that came out of an idea that we brought with TEDx Reno that you took and turned into a community-wide effort to drive a flag, which helped really change the identity of the city. That is like one of those moments that it just gives me great joy to know that ideas do matter and people can actually turn them into things. I know. And you can see your work and effort. And that's really cool. And you have a flag outside of your house. I actually need to still get one. But I know Megan in the arts office has a flag outside of her house. And I see them all over. I saw them at Burning Man. People really feel that spirit. Like the whole city of Reno staff now wear the flag t-shirts and masks. I mean, it's really become the identity, which is Amazing. And we used all the best practices to make that flag. And that all started from, it was a Roman Mars TED Talk on uh, vexology, the study of flags. And it's amazing how just that simple idea, inspiring the right people, can galvanize a community. One of those things that I'm just most excited or most proud of. Totally. We and with the commission, you guys, we got Holland Project a contract to teach kids about best practices on designing a flag. And we had kids sewing flags and submitting those. We had classrooms participating. I don't even remember. I know it was in the hundreds of flag submissions we received from kids and designers. And I mean, it was really cool to be a part of all that. I think that's really synonymous with this transformation that was going on in Reno or that has been going on. And it's one very prominent example of that. But it's just it came at this time when there was all this really positive effort moving forward. And it came out of the recession. So I think there was a lot of possibility. It feels different today. I feel like there's more headwind. There's more like we went from towny problems to like city problems. And it feels like there's a little bit more headwind now, although so much more going on. But I guess my question to you, going from being in staff and, you know, seeing the direct impact of your work to now being a county commissioner, which is a very different role, what's it like to be in in that role now on the the other side? Well, I think 
it's very exciting to be a county commissioner, and I'm really enjoying it. But I do miss seeing the work on the ground. So just, it, for example, that flag project that you brought up, we get to see the flag all over town. We remember the process and the kind of community engagement and, and excitement around that whole project. As a county commissioner, I'm working on homelessness, for example. That is something that I think that people on the outside feel like they could fix tomorrow. And in some ways, it does feel frustrating that, you know, just house people, just figure it out. But you have to build consensus. You have to find the money to budget. You have to create community trust. You have to really do a lot of work to even get to the small changes that you see on the ground and you are still grinding away and working on the problem. It's not done and it won't ever be done. That one in particular is a really, actually all these problems, you realize, you know, there's a lot of different opinions about it. All the things that you go through, you know, I was talking with some of the staff at the county and everybody's heart is in the right place. And you just realize that it's, you know, you're just overcoming lots of complexity. I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of the built for zero. That sounds from an outsider looking in who's not really that close to the problem. It seems like a really interesting solution. It is. I think it seems also when you say it out loud, people think, well, duh, why weren't you doing this before? But I think it goes back to how government is organized and what we were talking about, that rainforest philosophy of different groups, different organizations working together. And essentially, it is shared data between many different organizations all working on homelessness, having one entity in charge of it all, which is Washoe County. We actually formalized that with the city of Reno and the city of Sparks earlier this year, which was a big deal. Oh, that's a huge deal. Yes. And I think that it seems like, well, of course you just put the county in charge. Well, there was a lot of history and a lot of work that had been done by both cities that we had to build that trust and consensus to see who would be the overall manager of the whole program. And then also their funding and feeding into that. So it's bigger than just like, okay, giving over the keys to Washoe County. It's continuing to engage those stakeholders, which are cities. They're not just stakeholders you can give a call to and make a deal. It's actually a little bit more complex than that. And they have their constituencies. So putting Washoe County in charge, and we have a one data system that the government requires we use, which is called HMIS. And we all put in the information about the people and we put in the information about the services. So if there's transitional housing for veterans, you would put this. these people that we've already put into the system are in this transitional housing unit, and we have this many spaces open. That way, if you find a veteran who is going to lose a house or has an addiction issue, and it just so happens they also help with addiction problems, or a veteran who's been homeless, or a veteran who's new to the community, who comes to the CARES facility, who needs support, then we can put them in the right place. Right now, no one is, I mean, it's gotten better, certainly, since the county has started this process, this Built for Zero process, but no one was talking to each other. So you'd have many different nonprofits who would be running these transitional housing programs, as well as all sorts of caregiving programs, food programs, and interfacing with people and not putting those same people in the system. So we are losing track of people. This idea of Built for Zero is not how many people you serve during the year, fine if you need that 
for your statistics. We actually want to build so there is zero chronic and zero veterans homelessness. We understand that homelessness is always going to be an issue. People will get in fights, end up on the street. They'll not be able to be evicted from their apartment, whatever the case may be. And we need to support those people. So we always need emergency support for folks. But we should not have people living on the street for decades or living in the emergency shelter for yeah. decades. And so that's what we're trying to turn around. Isn't it interesting that a big part of the challenge is just communicating amongst each other. I mean, I think about, it's not exactly the same parallel, but I was thinking about kind of the early stages of trying to develop the entrepreneurial ecosystem. You have all of these nonprofits. Everybody says they help entrepreneurs, and there's almost like some turfness between that. And a big way that we got everybody on the same page was literally just communicating a lot and then coming up with some common shared values, like in our case, entrepreneur first clarifies like, hey, we're all in this for the entrepreneur. I don't know that that's exactly true in this case, but from my understanding of Built for Zero, like you're really looking at individual people, how things get handed off between agencies. All the agencies have a good positive intent, good values, but you were sort of losing people through the communication process and just how putting an just doing some basic things like communicating is really a big part of the solution. And we have a team that talks to this group, brings them together once a week. But I love what you talked about of we need to get shared values as part of this, which we're working on. And I think that we're not quite there yet. There is a best practices through the Built for Zero nonprofit called Community Solutions who actually received a, a MacArthur Genius Grant Award earlier this year. That's how effective this program is. But we are still working on a little bit of that turf war, a little bit of we've always done it this way. You have to earn the housing. Some of these programs are, we want to see that you're sober first. And it's like, well, if you've been living on the street, the addiction rate goes up significantly. So there needs to be a little bit of forgiveness on where people, meeting people where they're at. And so we're looking at, do we need grant incentives? Do we need also grant incentives to get people on this HMIS system? They're using their own systems. They're using spreadsheets. We need to all be talking to each other. So we're working through ways to make sure that everyone is playing nicely in the sandbox. Yeah, which is an ongoing challenge. I mean, my experience with this is people come together, you have a lot of cohesion for a while, and then just in human nature, people drift. You got to bring them back together. I've just, in my experience in the entrepreneurial community, reminding people that their primary objective is to be entrepreneur first is super helpful because people kind of get lost in their own self-interest sometimes. And, you know, having some really clear values has always been helpful for us. For what it's worth, I think everybody cares about, you know, the homelessness problem and hopefully you can create some alignment. I, they shared a story in Built for Zero in another community where one organization had extra resources and one had not enough resources and they actually shared, which sounded like a miracle. Nonprofits, I mean, they're all competing for the same pot of money, the same donors, especially in a community our size. It's rough and tumble. But I think that getting people there through incentives is probably more of the way that the county needs to work. So that's what we're slowly working towards. And it's, like you said, it's a process and it's continual. You can't just say, well, we're all getting along and we don't need to talk anymore. Hope for the best. It's great work. I mean, I think that it's one of those things. I mean, our community is 
small enough that you can kind of wrap your mind around it. And we have a real opportunity looking at other communities to do that. But it's a much different kind of challenge than developing a flag. So are you finding that to be as rewarding to do, you know, these bigger projects versus ones where you see direct impact on a day-to-day basis? Well, yes, because there's so many little rewards that happen in the time of these long projects. So I will say like, and then I can see the end. I can envision it in my brain. And so there is something beneficial to having a wild imagination, which apparently I still have one. (laughs) That's good. Don't let that go anywhere. It's a superpower for you. 38 years old. I'm never going to give that up. So I think that that is very helpful. And I remember, I mean, the reason I ran for office is my frustration of being a staff member because I'd be doing the work, coming up with policies or best practices, and maybe they wouldn't be done. Or I'd be following an issue in the paper And it just seemed like the right thing to do. Like there was a school bond issue of supporting our schools that our county commission chose to vote against to enact a sales tax, which we ended up doing later of the Save Our Schools initiative. But I saw that happen. I'm like, why are we wasting the time? Why can't we make the right decisions now? And so that frustration of like sidewalks aren't being built when I was a kid, let's deal with it before it becomes a problem. And then watching this kind of inaction happening when our community, like you were saying, is becoming a city was concerning. And so I thought like, well, I feel like someone's got to do it. And I feel like I might as well try. But this is one of the things I really appreciate about you, Alexis. I mean, a lot of people will just complain about traffic or complain about the situation, but, you know, you've taken that energy and turned it into action, right? Like now you're, it's what you're seeing on the ground is stoked something inside of you. And now you're out there being of service, which I just really appreciate about you. Thank you. And I love it. So that's really the cool part about the job is it is very rewarding, but you do have to kind of keep your mind on the prize because, I have coworkers who are fellow electeds from all over the different, you know, jurisdictions that we have in town, and it's frustrating. I mean, you work on something and you think like, well, I've been working on this. I've heard this from numerous elected officials, like, for four years, why isn't it done? And I'm like thinking... The elected official that I kind of is my North Star is Harry Reid, and I'm like, that dude worked on issues for decades and still were not fully resolved. I mean, it's one of those things that you have to be in it for the long game because there is no quick solutions, especially in government, or else they won't last. They won't be the strong policy decisions. They'll be kind of window dressing like one-offs or pilot projects, which no problem with those. But what are we doing lasting that takes some guts for the community, the hard stuff to do? One of the more difficult moments when I joined Edon, maybe not difficult, but it was just, it sort of shook me was when I was talking to Mike and he, and he, when I first joined Edon and he said, yeah, I need you to commit for 10 years. And I was like, <laughs> uh, and initial frustrations with how slow things move in community work, you know, being an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily have the luxury of time. And when he said 10 years, I have a totally different appreciation. I'm almost at Edon 10 years, but just noticing community change takes a long time. and But things that matter are hard. And then if you can make that impact, it's, it has a lasting change that you'll feel for much, much, much longer. But it was definitely it, still frustrating to me, although we've recently we've sort of taken our head up and like looked around 
And I'm just shocked that if you show up every day and just keep rolling your boulder uphill, at some point you get to the top of the mountain. You've been incredibly successful in what you have done for this community. So much so that we're like, stop it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how during a recession, economic development's your best friend. And then when there's 4% unemployment, people are like, you guys are horrible and might, you know, traffic and costs and all that. But it's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, and I think it's also just people realizing how special this place is. And you've been a part of that as well, of Reno is a really special place to live. And people definitely figured that out during the pandemic. They're like, why am I living in this city when I could have a backyard and my family can be close and I don't have to commute and I can zoom in? It's funny, you know, I go to the Bay Area pretty often. I was just down there. And I think it's hard to appreciate quality of life that we have when you're so immersed in this other way of being. And, you know, you have all this other, all your friends are doing the same things. And then people show up here and they're like, oh, I don't have to do it that way. I don't have to commute or I don't have to deal with this level of density or or what have you. It definitely, it's hard to have perspective unless you come and see it for yourself. It's been interesting during COVID. I don't, I'd be curious what it's, how it's changed the county. I mean, other than the obvious, I mean, obviously housing prices and issues, but we should talk specifically about Tahoe. But I have to say that I think our community has sort of been a net beneficiary, at least in one vein, which is we've gotten a lot of really good founders and investors that really know how to kind of like they played in the major leagues of entrepreneurship and they're coming to our community and showing us through their connections and through their experience how do we play at that next level i mean i've never seen more venture funded companies in our community's history the level of people that are starting companies here the connections of venture community all of that really bodes well for the entrepreneurs in the community. So I'm really excited about that. So that's been a net positive. I mean, obviously, some of the net negatives are expensive housing, things like that. But what have you seen in Tahoe? I mean, Tahoe is part of your district. All I heard was housing prices. And can I even say, you know, there's just, I've heard people refer to the bay holes. This is like a thing. Have you heard of this? Not that term, but I have heard of similar, I totally know what you're saying. Yes of this kind of anti-outsider vibe, which is hilarious because a lot of people who live in Incline Village and Crystal Bay have only been there for like three or four years. So we're all kind of new. It's a little bit of a transient area, but Airbnbs have become a hot issue. But I think what another underlying issue is that people are moving there full time. The community was very used to shoulder seasons, super calm, and it's not quite as calm anymore because you have more full-time people. The private school has a waiting list for the first time ever, um, the Lake Tahoe School. And the high school is got the biggest population of kids than it ever has. So then we see the negatives. I certainly have to bring up the fact that because everyone wants to live here, the housing prices have gone up. So we're pushing out our workers and then we're creating homelessness, which is goes back to our earlier discussion. But so that is something that we're having to deal with. But on the positive side of that is we're receiving all this federal funds Many of my coworkers have gone through recessions during this. I mean, post-pandemic, we are all thinking it'll be a horrible recession. We won't have any money and we'll have to deal with all these problems. And at least we have this, the CARES funding, the ARPA funding, and those are all being finalized. And we'll be seeing that money on the ground in the community in the next year. So there's a lot of positivity, plus the infrastructure bill that was just passed. I mean, so it's a good time to be in local government because you can come to consensus when you're playing with federal money, you're less 
personalized about it. That's why I think Reno Sparks and and the commission came together on homelessness because we had federal funds and we felt like probably a little bit of less defensiveness and also wanting to deal with the issue. So all of that combined. But And then in Tahoe, we have traffic issues. Sure, probably for the first time in a long time, if or if ever, really, other than... Yes. I think that people were scared away from going up there this summer because of how intense, how many people were going up there. Put The idea of the vacation homes, which creates more overnight stays, plus people needing to escape and go to the beach. And we don't have proper public transportation. So that's another issue that we're dealing with. And these are mountain towns. We don't really have sidewalks. So, I mean, there's a lot of planning that we're now doing to really put in the infrastructure that needs to be put in to create these communities that are safe and livable. Do you think that it will ever shift back to being kind of a vacation mountain town? Or do you think now it'll just always be kind of a year-round place where people live. I mean, it'd be interesting because I lived in Inkland for six years and I, but it was been like 2000. So it was very much a, it got real quiet in October, November. Oh yeah. And I lived there until 2012. So 2007 until 2012. And it was during the recession. So people were selling homes and it was very, very quiet living there except on the summertime or when you picked up for the holiday seasons. But it'll be interesting. I don't know. We'll see if we get a big storm, which did scare a lot of people away in 2017. And so if people can deal with that lifestyle, but we're supposed to have calmer winters. That's the prediction. So we'll see what that future will lie. But I think it's also, we have casinos up there. Our economy is pretty tourism-based in this area in general. And then Lake Tahoe is everyone's lake. People are going to want to go up there, and we just have to figure out how to safely get them out there and not destroy the lake and destroy the quality of life of the people who are living there. And that's kind of what we're working on. Even when I lived there, workforce housing was an issue. I think when I was there, everybody that worked in Incline could live either in Kings Beach or there was some housing. This is like a huge issue up there. I mean, how are the local businesses handling that? And what do you think are some good solutions for workforce housing? Well, that is the scary part is that we just did a study with the Tahoe Prosperity Center. And we are looking at losing businesses because of the lack of employment. And so that's when you're at an extreme end of not having the proper housing. And you lose about $500 a month if you're commuting up from Reno. So plus Reno is more expensive. So why would you do that if you can find employment in Reno? And it's not like we're short of an employment opportunities right now. Super competitive to the workforce. So I think that this is a major problem, especially right now. I think that there's a lot of things we're doing. TRPA is looking at the fact that they've incentivized for a long time uh, single-family dwelling units. They're easier to build than building higher densities up there for a lot of reasons. But if you have the proper public transportation, we need to look at that. Accessory dwelling units. Oh, my favorite topic. (laughs) Oh, please, let's talk about that. I'm like, should I just dive right in? Just go for it. Why not? I've already called people bayholes. So, you know, we might as well go there, which I don't actually believe. Actually, I think that's actually a really net positive. I just, when you start to hear things like that, you realize people are getting a little frustrated by all the movement. Yeah, there's tension. And I think part of it is we're not great stewards of communities we visit. 
And I think we all need to be better stewards of picking up our trash when we leave somewhere, packing it in, packing it out, being nice, not being a jerk when you're visiting somewhere. And I think that all that's compounded plus COVID, plus all those people living there. Let's just focus on being nice. Like I was reading a leadership book today, and it was just a you know quote, and it was like, know the name of your gardener or something. It was like, know the name of the coffee barista. Uh-huh. It's just the basics. Like, especially right now, you hear stories, I mean, in the hospital system, on the airplanes, all of these places where people were just compassionate for the fact that their fellow humans are doing a job to help support them. It would go a lot But that also goes back to, like, we're all a little broken. And if you remember that someone you're talking to could be a little broken, like, be a little nice to them. But, yes, it's really tough. And you see the tensions everywhere. And it does—I mean, we're even seeing it because the county runs the jail. We're seeing more extreme crime cases for arrests at the jail than we have ever seen before post-COVID. So it's people are getting into fights and really having a tough time. So I do understand the concern of new visitors coming into town and not respecting the culture. And I think that that's something we need to deal with and figure out how we can support. I created a trash program this summer that we never had before. And it was it's called Clean Tahoe, where people come through and sweep through trash. But you theoretically want people to just go to the beach and... And pick up their own trash? Yeah, but that's not happening. I don't know what that is saying about where we're at or if there's more work to be done, but even going... I recently went to Iceland and they're having the same issues with people not respecting the land and how do we preserve this for future generations. But back to workforce housing, (laughs) I think we're talking about. We'll go wherever. Okay. <laughs> ADUs is a possibility if we restrict uses. So you're not allowed to do a short-term rental there in Tahoe because we have so many short-term rentals. There's actually, we're looking at, and this is super preliminary and we haven't done anything. We're just studying this idea of only permitting ADUs that allow for 60 to 80% area median income folks to live in and going through our housing program and people to do that. So there's a lot of like really cool inventive things that we're trying to do to support workforce housing on existing properties and then also looking how can we support investment and workforce housing which is required by TRPA but probably not as a high of a requirement that we need to be looking at for Washoe and how do we look at ensuring that those people are included in these different projects. Which is really an interesting challenge, right? Because, I mean, Lake Tahoe property is probably some of the most expensive per foot in the country. And then how do you create low-cost options? So it seems like there needs to be some kind of incentive program. Are there other communities? I mean, has some other mountain towns sorted this out as Aspen or some of these other places? What have they done? Well, they've done a mix of things. So they look at non-required inclusionary zoning where you get, it says essentially you either allow for lower incomes to live in a property along with the people who are paying fair market, and you get fee reductions, you get it put into a land trust, you look at even just direct government subsidies. We started Washoe Affordable Housing Trust Fund that people can, we've started investing in that we could incentivize developers to use that trust fund, even to direct government 
support housing where we build it. I'm not saying that's what what Washoe would do necessarily, but we're very open to these things of looking at all the options. And I just met with staff and we were looking at a menu of affordable housing solutions, both in unincorporated Washoe County and Tahoe, which is part of unincorporated Washoe County. And so we'll be slowly actually doing some work and you'll be seeing those policies come out in 2022. And I'm really excited about that. And then there's a lot of work that we need to be doing with Reno and Sparks to all work together. So our affordable housing trust fund is a regional trust fund. We should be working to help them as well because we only can control the outlying areas. We're unincorporated Washoe County, and they can control the the major city areas. So how to work with them on that is important. I think what you said before about the fact that you have all this federal money coming in and it allows the municipalities to play nicer together, it kind of hit me. Like, yeah, when things are tough, everybody's competing. But now when you have a little bit more of a the money, you can actually solve some of these bigger problems. I mean, I think that's, there's probably been a lot of big problems that the municipalities haven't been able to solve, so they've been kicking the can down the road. But now there's a real potential. I mean, it does feel like the ARP funding and CARES funding is sort of a a once-in-a-generation opportunity to really make some systemic change. I mean, I know that there's lots of concerns of inflation and all these other things, but from what I see, there are a lot of deferred maintenance issues in communities that need to be addressed. And I'm excited. I mean, we're trying to get some ARP funding to support entrepreneurs, and who knows? It's an enigma. But just as a human, as a citizen in Nevada, I feel very optimistic that we're going to address things. And some things that aren't that sexy, like everybody I talk to talks about the sewer system. Like, this is critical. Trash on the ground's bad. You know, making sure that the pipes are clean is is also really important I for know. a good community. You, like, don't see it, so you don't know it happens, but... Unless you walk around San Francisco and then you realize, wait a second, it's a different problem. I realize it's connected to... Yes, totally. And when you have a sewer issue, you'll notice. There's like no getting around it. So we have two sewer plants that need rehab as well. And then we all use in in Reno, essentially, and, and Sparks, the same sewer plant that needs several million dollars worth of rehab and work because we also send our water down to the Pyramid Paiute tribe. So we have a a responsibility to also ensure that we're doing that right. I love Tahoe, but honestly, I probably spend a little bit more time at Pyramid simply because I'm a fly fisherman and I just, what an amazing amazing like that is. It is. It's so special. And I don't know if people realize how connected our water system is. It's like we are literally drinking Tahoe Tap that runs down the Truckee and ends the Terminus Lake in uh, Pyramid Lake. And we're all connected. And that's where the Washoe tribe, on you know, and up at Tahoe and then the Pyramid Lake. I mean, we have a responsibility to work together and make sure that water is clean and So, I mean, there's a lot of other big environmental projects you care about. I mean, this is one of those things you and I are very aligned around this. So what are some of the other environmental type projects you're working on? I mean, it does seem like this is our time. I mean, we just came out of the Glasgow conference. Obviously, it seems like they could do more. Some people don't think they could, you know, they didn't do it. There's just all these issues. But what are some of the things on the kind of on the local side that you think are, are opportunities? Well, we are doing EV charging stations. We just did a ribbon cutting for more of them at the Washoe County Complex, and we're doing a program at our parks as well. So starting with um, our parks that have golf courses and then all of the regional parks, I'm hoping 
through ARPA funding, will have EV chargers either through the state or the county. So that's an exciting opportunity to really push that. We're looking at a program with the Health District and the City of Sparks and the City of Reno of if people are not passing that smog check that's required by the state, they're typically lower income. How do we help them get a vehicle that is not releasing emissions or get a or go and have their vehicle fixed? This was done at the state legislature level of allowing local governments to do this kind of work. We're looking at a pilot project for that. And if there is an opportunity for folks to give folks a loan to buy a car, it would be an electric vehicle. So also ensuring that we have all the charging stations to make sure that that is possible. So that's another program that we're doing. And then I'm on the Tumwa board, which is our water authority. And we're looking at ways that we can really incentivize people to save water. Because even though we have a lot of capacity with water, we have an agreement called TROA, which allows us to pull water from Lake Tahoe and other water basins up in the Alpine Meadows. We still have an obligation to make sure that we're doing everything we can to not misuse water. So we're looking at a, a program for that next year that we'll be rolling out. And then the flood project, that's a really exciting project that I think people don't realize what the work that's being done on the ground is that we have these really bizarre weather events like this atmospheric rain. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, like four inches of rain in two days and we normally get seven over the whole year. I was fortunate my basement did not flood. I was fully expecting that to happen. But I know, me too. I'm really grateful because I was just watching the downpour. But that type of event, especially because they're predicting more rain for our future with global warming and not as much snow, we could see the Truckee River rise. So the flood project really is investing on how can we do sustainable projects for future flooding. And there's some parks that we're looking to get out of these projects that will be east of, well, really in in the city of Sparks and near um, UNR Farms, as well as ensuring that there's a ton of erosion that happens when we have these flood projects. And so they it all goes downhill to the Pyramid Paiute uh, tribe and Pyramid Lake. And so you don't want to add extra silt and things like that. Exactly. So ensuring that we're not allowing for all those waters and different chemicals to go down there. So we're working very hard on those projects. And hopefully you'll be seeing some of those happen next year on the east part of the Truckee River. So I think that, you know, it's funny, I just came back from my entrepreneurial forum and one of my good friends is a investor in autonomous vehicles. We had a really interesting conversation. I didn't realize how far ahead Tesla is in terms of their electric vehicle and all the infrastructure and how tied they are. I mean, if you've driven into Tesla, it's a pretty remarkable user experience to pull into a Whole Foods or one of these places and get charged quickly and all that. And when my friend was lamenting, he's got a, a non-Tesla, I don't know what it was, but how it, there's a real hodgepodge of EV charging stations and how they're all different connectors and different things. So we just, it's clear we need a lot more capacity for that to become a much more viable issue. Like if you're, you know, Tesla owners don't seem to have this problem as much, but if we want real competition from all these other manufacturers, Tesla may or may not want that, but you know, you're going to have to have a whole network of charging stations, which I think is great. And I have to say, I really like, you know, it's one of those things that unless you're dealing with it, you know, you don't think about the fact that not making a smog check could really have an impact. Right. Right. And 
what a really creative solution to help people either get that repaired or find another v- way of getting vehicles. I think that's a really interesting solution that just doesn't crush at least my radar. I mean, I'm right. focused on different things, but I think that that it's going to be a cool program and we'll see. I think it will be taken advantage of and we are so car focused in this community. I mean, on the the other side of how do we help with all this is like building better public transportation. And I'm not on the regional transportation board which oversees Reno and Sparks as bus system and road system, but I am on the Tahoe Transportation Board. And so we're looking at raising regional revenues to support real public transportation in Tahoe. You can ditch your car in the South Meadows and go all the way around the lake, either on a ferry, on a little van, or a major bus and ensuring that we get vehicles off the road. We're looking at all sorts of ways to incentivize that, maybe even a user fee where you would have to pay to drive into the basin and figuring out how we can make that equitable and make public transportation low cost. But I'll tell you, like, I speak to kids at elementary schools and many of them have never been up to Tahoe because it's not even something that's within grasp for many families. So having free, frequent public transportation is going to be key up there. And I think like one of our major issues that we must get done. I hadn't considered how all of those things would link together. As you were talking, I was thinking about hopefully those buses and all and the ferries would all be electrified, right? Like here's an opportunity to anything that could be a really interesting thing in the Tahoe Basin. You want to have specific requirement for electrification of public transit or what have you. And it got me thinking about, are you following Joby at all? It's a public company now, but it's a startup has these electric. They're basically like cars that fly, but they use six rotors, but they're all electric. And so they're really going to disrupt transportation. So my friend was talking about being able to hop on one in the Embarcadero and it would take you to Tahoe in about 45 minutes, but you need more helipads. So maybe electrified helipads. That's probably not a mass solution, but um, looking at all the different ways where you can reduce carbon emissions. And that's, by the way, that just talking to the venture community there's a lot of, obviously, people are always investing in software and fintech and all that, but a huge investment is going into carbon reduction. I think Chris Saka, who lived in Truckee for a long time, is launching a new fund called Lower Carbon. And, you know, you're going to see billions and billions of dollars going into this. You've got some local CEOs that are doing things like Adam Kramer with Ledger. We just invested in Ledger as the county so oh, we can better measure our carbon outputs as well. Which is great. I think these are all of these... There's no silver bullet. It's a lot of small changes that over time will all add up, which is exciting. And, you know, having lived in Tahoe, obviously the clarity of the lake's a big, it's like, a you know, you would hate to lose that. We're kind of at a really important point in the history of managing Tahoe because you look at those fires, they're not going away. And the fires contribute to Lake T- Clarity. But even more so are your vehicle miles traveled because of BMPs getting into the lake and emissions, which also affects lake clarity. So it's all one cycle that you're creating. So if we can reduce the vehicles going in there, it it will be key. And here's the thing, Lake Tahoe probably should have been a national park. No one should probably live there, but that's we have what we have. And I mean, it's so great that people can live up there. I know, you know, lifestyle wise, but it's tough because um, I think that there's a tension. And this is why you saying like some people are not happy with we're not going far enough with climate change. And then other people are wanting kind of a stall because they 
kind of scared of the change. People living locally are like, shut it down. Don't let anyone come in. And well, it's like, this is not your personal lake. So it's a balance between this lake, it belongs to all of us, and also ensuring that we're not just creating a a lake that you can't see to the bottom of anymore. Well, and this is why we need good leaders like you, Alexis. Seriously, I mean, you have to be able to hold those tensions and be able to navigate through and make the best choices you can to help us and to have that perspective. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we, you are a representative, and so you have to have a 10-plus year perspective, which I think the average person has not a 10-year perspective. They have a whatever it is, you know, right in front of them kind yeah, of perspective. I think it's hard to have that perspective because it's easier to just push it off. And I feel like I started in January, so I'm 11 months into the job. There's so many things that I'm like, wait, this wasn't fixed already? I feel like this should have been fixed. Like, what were they doing? So I have like this frustration for some uh, leaders who have come before me of, it makes me want to perform at a higher level and try to fix these things and move a little quicklier. I mean, more quickly. I think that that's the scary part about like you do, in government, you can't move too quickly or else you, you won't be successful. But really taking it seriously, having goals and marching towards them and not getting lost sight in the day to day, which also is something that you're going to have staff reports come to you, more pressing issues. But remembering why you got into office, I think that that's an obligation. But that's what inspires me is thinking like, I feel like public transportation should have been up in Tahoe in the 70s. It's bizarre to me that we're looking at 2022 and we still have disconnected systems and not a really well thought out way to ensure that people can get up to the lake. I'm hopeful that, you know, this is one of those moments that will bring people together. I, you know, I, a little, I worry a little bit about climate change because it's one of those things that it doesn't affect everybody at the same way. And so that just doesn't have that resonance. Like if we were like attacked by aliens, I think we would all come together like, oh, we know who the common enemy is. Climate change is just a little bit more amorphous. And so it doesn't resonate with people the same way. And then of course, distrust and misinformation, all that stuff just makes it harder. That said, good leadership can galvanize a population and drive things forward. Or if you can get people on the other side of don't you want to go up to Tahoe and not worry about parking? There we go. You don't have to be aliens. See, this is what I love about you. I had to go totally out there. No, but, but yeah. I think you're right. I think it's true that like you can't attack every issue thinking that you're talking to the same person because there's different ways to look at things, but you can still come to the same resolution of, yeah, but this still works for all of us. It's just figuring out how to talk to people and see if they, and I'm not even... <laughs> I will say our mayor, who you talk to on this podcast, is the best at communicating to people. I really admire the way that she can really understand what the community wants and also talk to them. And I think more of us elected officials need to learn from her. She has like deep empathy, I think. And that's what makes her so good. So it's certainly something we have to work on. I think it's really important to understand everybody's perspective as best you can and right. to try and put yourself in their pers- their shoes 
and then also know how to translate that into the goal that you've been elected to go solve. So it's an interesting skill, but I think that you will continue to develop that skill. And I think you, like in my experience with you, I think I've always felt like you have done a great job of listening to different people. When you brought in the, it was the National Performing Arts and we did the diversity. The NEA? Yeah, the NEA. And we did the diversity training Uh, on the Arts and Culture Commission. I have to say that was, I mean, I'm I'm a very open-minded person. That was a real eye-opener for me when we did the privilege wheel. It was one of those things when I looked at it, it really shocked me. I didn't have any like guilt around it as much as I just had a real deep appreciation for everybody has a different experience in life and that we need to do a lot more perspective taking. It was really powerful. It really shifted me. That's so awesome. And I think that that's what I hope everyone would have coming to a new topic is what can I learn? But no one is a Doug, sadly. And no one is an Alexis, sadly, either, you know? But here we go. Here we are. This is like our road trip. We're just solving the world's problems. But I do think, like, being able to receive new information and shift is okay. And I feel like I'm doing it all the time. I'm like, I hope this decision is right. It's right today, feels good today with the information I have today, but I have to be okay with receiving new information and understanding that I may look like a flip-flopper down the line because I've learned something new. I think flip-flopping, it's been pathologized. Like, I think it makes sense. Like, do the best you can with the information you have. Right. Like you have to make decisions with imperfect information. And then if new information comes to light, you can, you know, say, no, oh, we need to do something different now. We've learned. That seems like where else in life have you just held the line and not yeah. changed? I mean, it, I can't think of another example where you would just hold yourself to that standard. I think there's pressure in this line of work, certainly. And I heard a podcast, it was talking about humans really value consistency. Maybe it was Hidden Brain. And it was about how we will be consistent to our detriment to be consistent. No, it wasn't. It was a book I read called Influence, because I'm trying to figure out how can I have influence, but how we can be consistent to actually like take away possibilities for ourselves and lose money. And I mean, all the things that you would think that we wouldn't want to do because we committed to something at the beginning and we feel like we have to commit to it at the end. It's interesting part of our psychology. There's a really good book called Liminal Thinking, and it talks about the structure of belief and how people, you know, reinforce their own beliefs. So like if you've made a decision and you made it very public that you made that decision and then it goes against you, you will go to infinite links to defend that position, even in absence of like overwhelming information to the contrary. It's just really fascinating. So like, it's a really good book. It's called Liminal Thinking. I'll find a copy for you. Yeah, please. I'm very interested. I'm always looking for new ways to understand people because that's really what it comes down to. I feel like any of these decisions, creating consensus, talking to the community about what ideas and possibilities are out there and why we're going in this direction versus this direction, it's just talking to people. That's the hard and the cool and sometimes the easy part of the job of just we have to like figure out how to connect and speak the same language. So yes, it's an ongoing battle. Let me ask you two final questions. So one, what are you most proud of from the work you did at the city? I would say that diversity, equity, and inclusion work that I started before I left, I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of the grants 
that have wrapped around that. And we grant to more organizations, more diverse organizations, more people of color because of it. I'm super proud of that because I feel like that opened up the city to so many other possibilities and then now has strengthened these new organizations in town. And then I would say the Bloomberg grant, that one of the last things that I did before I left, that piece of art that's on the Retract Plaza that's now called locomotive plaza and bringing that artist and having Bloomberg recognize Reno as this kind of up-and-coming city. Very proud of that because that retract lid has driven me crazy. I mean, how many different proposals and things have you seen on that for over the years? We actually worked together on, what was that group that came into town? Next City to like do some mind melds with our up-and-coming people in town to figure out what to do with the lids and and the city plaza, which... Which I think is actually funny now because one of the ideas that Next City was to put like a skate park or some kind of an entertainment. And now they're actually doing something active there. They're actually doing the thing that people had come up with. But it takes time for those ideas to kind of manifest. So those kind of grants. And then I really loved part of my job of bringing together these special constituencies. So we did the Veterans Day Parade. And I love bringing together veterans and hearing their stories and doing something nice for them for one day and recognizing people, you know, and we did that in a lot of ways for the Poet Laureate, for the Reno artist, and recognizing what people bring to the community. That was a really special part of my job, I would say. Well, all you have to do is walk around and you can see your fingerprints all over the city. So that's amazing. I appreciate you sharing that. And so I guess my final question is, think about yourself in like, 10 years from now, like, what do you want to be true in 10 years? Like, if you kind of look back on this time and say, what do I really want to be true at the end of 10 years from your work in the county? What would be one one or two things you oh might mention? Gosh. I hope we've figured out some of this housing crisis. I hope that we've created real policies that both reward developers for different affordable housing and workforce housing projects. So incentivize and then also require. So that long term, 10 years, that would be incredible because that's the game changer. It's like, how do you ensure that someone isn't homeless? You have to house them. So no amount of emergency shelters that we open, even though this emergency shelter is a good start, will really fix the issue unless we've figured out the housing conundrum. So that to me, I would say preserving all the things that we love here. So the mountains, the culture in Reno, ensuring that it doesn't, we haven't done so much development without public transportation that it's impossible to get around. I think that we're at a point where we can make some really good decisions or bad decisions and ensuring that we're preserving Lake Tahoe. I'd like to see that we actually get this regional revenue and you'll see free public transportation in a decade. I mean, that's super ambitious, but why not? Let's just dream. (laughs) Yeah, let's drive electric vehicles and go on electric ferries and take our Jobies around. It's great. But I really appreciate that. Like, preserve the thing that makes us great. Make smart policy that gives everybody an opportunity to live, work, and play in the place that we love and we call home. Beautifully said. See, that's like putting that on a campaign something right there. (laughs) Well, I'll be there with my campaign sign and my Reno flag supporting you for the next campaign. But it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast, Alexis. It's And I'm really excited about the near-term future for you, for adding one to your family. So, Baby Zora, 
Coming in a month. That's going to be what an amazing journey. Having two kids, you know, nine and 11, it's quite the thing. I, my, someone asked me, what's like my one piece of advice? And I would just say, you'll never know when the last time you'll do something is. So to really appreciate that, like I can't remember the last time I pulled my son off of the bunk bed. So just appreciate all of those moments because they go away. Totally live in the now. I'm really going to try to do that. With your eye to 10 years in the future so you can make transformation. While still getting work done. Yes, Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thank you. 